Welcome to Dream Gardens, where we talk up the children's books we love. My name is Jody Lima, and on this twice-monthly podcast, hosted on the first and third Monday of each month, I interview other kids' books enthusiasts about their own favorite children's books. Today, I'm going to be interviewing Robert Hoyman, who is author of the book Limerick Comics, and we're going to be talking about that book as well as the middle-grade novel There's a Boy in the Girl's Bathroom by Louis Sacker. I should point out that at the beginning of the interview, I refer to the book as There's a Girl in the Boy's Bathroom, which is backwards, of course, and as far as I know, not actually a book. So sorry about that. Uh, This week, I'm going to get back to starting with a poem, something I hadn't done the past couple of times. And since we're talking limericks, and Robert mentions Edward Lear, I thought it would be appropriate to read something by Mr. Lear. Uh, However, the poem I chose, which is called Calico Pie, is not a limerick, but I still like it, so I'm going to read it. Calico Pie Calico Pie, the little birds fly down to the calico tree. Their wings were blue, and they sang tilly-loo, till away they flew, and they never came back to me. They never came back, they never came back, they never came back to me. Calico Jam, the little fish swam over the syllabub sea. He took off his hat to the sole and the sprat and the willy-bee wat, but he never came back to me. He never came back, he never came back, he never came back to me. Calico Ban, the little mice ran, to be ready in time for tea. Flippity-flup, they drank it all up and danced in the cup, but they never came back to me. They never came back, they never came back, they never came back to me. Calico drum, the grasshoppers come, the butterfly, beetle, and bee. Over the ground, around and around, with a hop and a bound. But they never came back. They never came back. They never came back. They never came back to me. My guest today is Robert Hoyman, author of Limerick Comics. You can find his website at limerickcomics.com. Uh, Thank you for joining me, Robert. Well, thank you for having me, Jody. It's a pleasure to be with you. Uh, Can you talk a little bit about what Limerick Comics is? Yes, Limerick Comics is a book that I've written. uh, It offers lighthearted original limericks on a wide range of history and science topics, each with an informational panel of surprising facts, and they're all presented in entertaining comics. And Limerick Comics was illustrated by Steve Feldman. I'm a... uh, I'm a retired elementary school teacher. I spent 41 years in the classroom. And back in the 90s is when I very first got the idea to write this book. And it was basically out of necessity. I did a lot of reading at home with my own two sons. And one of the books that they were captivated by was a book by Edward Lear called The Book of Nonsense. And so I often brought books from home to school. And this one was a little bit different. When I read The Book of Nonsense, which is a book featuring limericks that Edward Lear popularized, the kids were particularly interested and captivated. And uh, when I got near the end of the book, after a couple of days of sharing a few each day, the kids kept saying, more, more, we got to have more. And I thought, well, that'll be terrific. I was eager to advance their interest in this genre. So I 
immediately headed to the school library, and we had no books that featured children's limericks. And then I went to the public library along with uh, local bookstores. And this is the early 90s, as I mentioned. I could not find one single book that had children's limericks. And uh, so as a result, we decided to write our own, both uh, the students and I. And I tried to write, the kids wrote them about real trivial and simple topics. And um, we had fun illustrating those, and they loved sharing them. But I tried to write them about topics that were uh, educational in nature, ones in history and science that we encountered along the way. And um, I collected a few of those. And I pledged, since I was, you know, year after year, I couldn't find any books to uh, present that had children's limericks. I pledged that once I retired, I'd sit down and polish up some of my old limericks, write a few new ones, and put out a book because I felt strongly that the genre was underrepresented. And along with the the lyrics on each page, uh, there's an informational section as well that goes along with each uh, limerick. Yes, that's correct. And that really is an, an outgrowth of, of being a teacher. Whenever you put forth a topic, then uh, elicits discourse in the classroom and kids bring prior knowledge and offer interesting contributions to that conversation you know it's common that you you know share information that you know about it or listen to the kids and and so um it just seemed like after i wrote the limerick about an interesting topic that it would be a, a great idea to offer some relevant information about it that might elicit interest in kids researching it further or uh hopefully having a discussion similar to the one we have in class between uh, kids and parents. You know, parents, not just the primary or preschool parents, uh, parents of preschool children, but um, also middle grade parents really want to find books that they can read together with their kids. And so the book is, um, is very conducive to that. You can take a page, each page is like a mini lesson. You can take a page and uh, read it together read the sixth panel of additional information and have a nice conversation. And like I said, uh, I tried to put together a book that has a wide range of fascinating topics that I liked. And I found that the kids had shown a great deal of interest in as well. And among those in social studies, I have pages on women pirates, uh, the link boys of London or the lamplighters of London uh, in the age of London, England before there was public lighting. I have a page about the Mohawk Indians and their uh, contributions in New York City to the construction of high-rise skyscrapers. The Pony Express, a fascinating story about the Old West and you know kids of today who are accustomed to electronic mail, email. It's uh, a reminder to them that there was a time in this country where it took 25 days to get a letter, you know, across the country. And the Titanic and the Titan, uh, King Tut. Kids love to hear the story of King Tut because he was a pharaoh that assumed power in Egypt at the age of nine years old. You get a lot of quizzical looks when they find that out. And uh, in terms of science, uh, a lot of a lot of the pages that I wrote had to, to do with writing a limerick that would elicit interest in those topics as well, such as bioluminescence, 
introducing gastroliths, uh, how bats use echolocation as a navigation device, things like that. Those are good examples. I did have a chance to read the book, and I enjoyed it a lot. I do have to say my particular favorite was about uh, the pirate Sadie and her pickled ear, which probably says a lot about me. But uh, but you're right. There are all, all sorts of different uh, topics. Uh, can you talk a little bit about uh, the research process when you had a particular topic, what you did to you know, research these particular things to get that information? Many times, uh, some of the uh, preliminary research went with just simply taking notes in a lot of the textbooks that I had encountered in, in the classroom, you know, basic knowledge. And then um, after I retired, I spent a great deal of time in the, in the library and also online researching the topics, basically trying to formulate and distill it down to some of the things in my experience that would captivate kids and would enchant them. So, you know, the uh, six panel is somewhat limited in space, and so I try to fill it with some of the most interesting things I can find. And a good, good example of that would be uh, the page about the Titanic. I think James Cameron's film, The Titanic, was released, I think, around 1994. And um, I can clearly recall that after that film came out, that uh, in our weekly trips to the school library, there, there was always one or two kids that had a book about the Titanic under their arm. And uh, the Titanic books always flew off the shelves. So I have an interesting page about the Titanic, and it includes some information maybe you haven't heard, and I'd like to maybe share that with your listeners. Oh, absolutely. And here is the, the limerick. And again, a limerick is uh, it's a form of verse that is often humorous, not always, with a strict rhyme structure of A-A-B-B-A, and it uh, adheres to a strict anapestic meter. And the first, second, and fifth lines rhyme. And the third and the fourth lines have a different rhyme, and they're shorter in length. And anapest basically is, um, refers to two unstressed syllables followed by a stressed syllable. Okay, and so a good example of that meter would be in this phrase, in the blink of an eye. In the blink of an eye, two unstressed syllables followed by a stress. Another very simple example of a single word would be the word understand. And um, everybody's familiar with anapest meter. They may not realize it. And probably the greatest example would be the Clement Moore poem, The Night Before Christmas. "'Twas the night before Christmas, and all through the house, not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse." So you can see that it's a, kind of a spirited cadence, kind of a bit of a gallop, or at least a canter. Okay, well, here is the poem. Here's my limerick for the uh, Titanic. And I think the accompanying six-panel information will astound you. They claimed that the ship wouldn't sink, but not the great vessel you think. The boat was gigantic, but not the Titanic, where thousands were brought to the brink. The story of that fateful maiden voyage of the British passenger liner Titanic is well known. But believe it or not, a full 14 years before the Titanic was declared the worst maritime disaster in modern history, American author Morgan Robertson published a novel titled The Wreck of the Titan or Futility. If you think the ship's name, the Titan, is an eerie coincidence, 
you would be astounded to learn just how many similarities were found in the novel and the actual sinking of the Titanic more than a decade later. Both British-owned vessels were considered unsinkable with exactly 19 watertight compartments and therefore carried less than half the number of lightboats needed. Each ocean liner was made of steel and struck an iceberg on the starboard side in the North Atlantic Ocean. Both events occurred near the stroke of midnight on an evening in April, approximately 400 miles south of Newfoundland. Remarkable historical coincidence. And you said how far back was that book written before the Titanic? It's pretty startling. It was 14 years before the Titanic occurred. This uh, novel by Morgan Robertson detailed so many eerie similarities that it's really mind-boggling. And the kids go, oh, wow, oh, my. Because, as I mentioned, they have a very good familiarity with uh, the story of the Titanic, both from the film and also from, from books. And the uh, illustrated panels are so brilliantly done by my illustrator, Steve Feldman, who uh, lives in Oregon, and he has a wide uh, variety of different artistic talents. And uh, he does a lot of fascinating things where there are some panels that overlap, some foreshadow what's happening next. But on one of the panels, it shows Titan in, in the limerick itself. And when you read it, one would think that it refers to the Titanic. And then only after you read the uh, accompanying six panel do you realize, no, it is the Titan. <laughs> I would imagine, as you said, your, your experience as a teacher uh, when you're do both doing the research and thinking about what facts to put together, you think about you know, um, not just what's interesting, but what kids would really uh, be really interested in, uh, really get their attention, um, particularly for younger readers. Indeed. You know, that's my target audience. I knew the kids loved limericks. And so when I was writing the book, I had a, I was very confident that the kids would find it very, very appealing. But I also feel like it, it'll appeal to um, kids of all ages. And, uh, you know, adults like limericks too. One of, the, one of my most favorite places on the internet is on Twitter, following a person named Limericking. And uh, I had read a couple of articles. It's a person from the National Post in Canada who tweets really terrific limericks that uh, mirror what's taking place in the news. And it's called Where News Gets First. I think he has about, uh, I think, let's say a couple hundred thousand uh, followers. So I reached out to him one time because I'd become such a, an avid reader of his work. And I, I, after the book was complete, I reached out and said, hey, I want to share with you my children's book. And I said, um, we, what we do is somewhat similar. I've been writing these limericks about non, nonfiction topics since the early 90s. So it was really wonderful. He got back to me and wished me well. And, and, uh, and I retweeted a couple of promos on my book and was quite, uh, quite supportive. Very nice. I'm not familiar with it, so I'll have to look that up on Twitter. Yeah, a lot of... You know, if he has that many followers, that that tells you that there are a great many adults that love the love uh, limericks as well. Uh, for um, adults or adults uh, either interested in limericks or or the history of each one, or for their kid, adults looking for this for their kids, can you get an idea of where they might find this book? 
Yes, uh, Limerick Comics is available at all online booksellers, you know, all of the, the traditional booksellers that you see in the community and also online on their websites. You can also find it at my website and get uh, more information at limerickcomics.com. And uh, also for teachers and librarians, I wanted to point out that, as I mentioned, each page is basically a, a mini lesson. And there are so many opportunities during the academic day where you have breaks in the schedule, unexpected things occur, and you know sometimes you only may have 10 or 15 minutes here and there. Don't want to start in an entire lesson, which is you know 30 to 45 minutes. So you, you have to have structured time. So this book's perfect for picking it up, pick, pick out a topic on a page and read it. And uh, I have a great deal of um, concern and empathy for my fellow teachers that are trying to teach at this point in time with distance learning and the challenges presented uh, by both teaching children in the classroom and also on computer. So I have, I worked together with a curriculum designer, put together a set of, I put together a set of uh, lesson plans and they're available on my website as a free downloadable, printable download. So uh, go to limerickcomics.com and get a free set of lesson plans that can augment the use of the book. Uh, additionally, Limerick Comics was chosen by Bedside Reading as a title that is among the curated titles that they place in luxury hotels across the United States as, a, as an amenity to their guests. So I was really honored and humbled that Limerick Comics has chosen in this set of books for world travelers at luxury hotels across the United States. Check out the uh, book giveaway on Women's World Magazine right now and uh, win a stack of books provided by Bedside Reading along with a, a two-night stay at the Morrison Hotel in Alexandria, Virginia. And also, finally, the Bedside Reading titles are also featured in last month's Hollywood Weekly Magazine. Again, I'm so thrilled and honored that Limer Comics is uh, featured in last week's Hollywood Weekly magazine. Mm, that sounds very exciting. Yes. Now, the book you picked as uh, one of your own particular favorite uh, kids' books that you've read yourself is There's a Girl in the Boys' Bathroom, and this was written by Lewis Sacker, and it was published in 1987. And I have to admit, I've read a lot of Lewis Sacker, but I hadn't read this book. Uh, so for readers, uh, but, I, but I have had a chance to <laughs> read it since then, uh, for readers who, like myself at one point, uh, who are unfamiliar or haven't had a chance to read this book yet, can you talk a little bit about what it's about? There's a Boy in the Girls' Bathroom by Lewis Sacker. is a most fascinating book. Before I even knew that Holes existed, you know, the more widely known title of his, I had read uh, There's a Boy in the Girl's Bathroom for a number of years in a read-alouds for my fourth grade uh, students. I always tried to model reading and try to encourage kids to read independently. That's something that we you know, consistently did as teachers. And so I typically had a, a wonderful chapter book that I'd read for 15, 20 minutes a day. Typically after lunch, uh, a read aloud with kids after lunch is very helpful because, you know, the cafeteria gets to be a pretty rowdy place and 
it was very conducive to getting kids to settle down and concentrate on the afternoon lessons. And so we come in from the lunchroom, sit down, and I'd, I'd always do a read aloud. And um, over the course of time, I'd had a list of you know five or six titles that I found were, were so effective being read aloud to kids. This one's probably among the best, and that's why I chose to share it with you today. There's a boy in the girl's bathroom. The main character is uh, Bradley Chalkers. And Bradley Chalkers is a kid who, uh, I guess you would say, is a, a lovable bully. He's very misunderstood. He's a rather discouraged student and child, has difficulty making friends, repeated, you know, he was retained, uh, disinterested in school. And I guess you'd say, you know, he has uh, some emotional problems. The thing about this book that makes it such great for a read-aloud is because the first couple of pages just captivate the kids. And that the very first time that I sit down to read to the kids, they, they don't want you to stop after you go into the first three or four pages. So what I thought I would do right in the outset here is just to go over a couple of pages let you get an idea about the characters, his situation, and then uh, we can talk a little bit more and, and summarize the book itself. The kids also responded very well to the fact that you could uh, distinguish the characters by using voices. I did a lot of uh, performance types of activities with my kids. Uh, we did a, a number of uh, fully staged musicals. We read a lot of plays in class, a lot of one-act plays, children's monologues, limericks, and so... This particular book, you could get the kids to read dialogue, and you know they're really enthralled by it. So let me get started here, and you can get an idea about Bradley Chalkers. The very first sentence in the book says, Bradley Chalkers sat at his desk in the back of the room, last seat, last row. And uh, Lewis Satcher starts a number of his chapters with that same sentence. And you wouldn't believe it, Jody, before long, the kids uh, come to anticipate and expect it. And when I say last seat, they all join in chorus saying, last row. Bradley Chalker sat at his desk in the back of the room, last seat, last row. No one sat at the desk next to him or the one in front of him. He was an island. If he could have, he would have sat in a closet. Then he could shut the door so he wouldn't have to listen to Mrs. Ebel. He didn't think she'd mind. She'd probably like it better that way. So with the rest of the class. All in all, he thought everyone would be much happier if he sat in the closet. But, unfortunately, his desk didn't fit. Class, said Mrs. Ebel, I would like you all to meet Jeff Fishkin. Jeff has just moved here from Washington, D.C., which, you know, is the nation's capital. Bradley looked up at the new kid who was standing in front of the room next to Mrs. Ebel. Why don't you tell the class a little bit about yourself, Jeff, urged Mrs. Ebel. The new kid shrugged. Well, there's no reason to be shy, said Mrs. Ebel. Well, the new kid mumbled something, but Bradley couldn't hear what it was. Have you ever been to the White House, Jeff? Mrs. Ebel asked. I'm sure that the class would be very much interested in that. No, I've never been there before, he shook his head. Mrs. Ebel smiled. Well, I guess we'd better find a place for you to sit. She looked up in the room. Uh, I don't see any place to sit except I suppose you could sit there in the back. No, not next to Bradley, a girl in the front row exclaimed. At least it's better than in front of Bradley, said another boy. Mrs. Ebel frowned. She turned to Jeff. 
I'm sorry, there are no other empty desks. I don't mind where I sit, he said. Well, nobody likes sitting there, said Mrs. Ebel. That's right, Bradley spoke up. Nobody likes sitting next to me. He smiled a strange smile. He stretched his mouth so wide, it was hard to tell whether it was a smile or a frown. He stared at Jeff with bulging eyes as Jeff awkwardly sat down next to him, and Bradley smiled back at him, so he looked away. Mrs. Ebel started the lesson, and Bradley took out a pencil and paper. He scribbled. He scribbled most of the morning, and he scribbled so hard that his pencil point broke. And he just taped the globs of broken pencil and junk from his desk, and he scribbled some more. And Mrs. Ebel handed back the language test, and she says, well, class, most of you did very well. Of course, there were 14 A's, the rest were B's, and of course, there was one F. And she shrugged her shoulders. Mrs. Ebel went over the correct answers, and Bradley took out a piece of scissors, a pair of scissors, and he carefully cut his test paper into tiny squares. And when the bell rang for recess, he put on his jacket, walked outside alone. Hey, Bradley, wake up, wait up, somebody called after him. Bradley was startled. He spun around. It was Jeff, the new kid, who hurried up alongside him. Hi, said Jeff. Bradley stared in amazement. Jeff smiled and he said, hey, I don't mind sitting next to you. Really? Bradley didn't know what to say. I have been to the White House, Jeff admitted. And if you want, I'll tell you about it. Bradley thought for a moment. And then he said, give me a dollar, I'll spit on you. <laughs> and when, when I always read that, the kids would just look up and they were in complete amazement. So um, there are some kids, you can tell by looking at them, they're just good spitters. That's probably the best way to describe Bradley Chalker. He looked like a good spitter. He was the oldest and toughest looking kid in the class. And he was a year older than everyone else. That's because he had taken fourth grade twice. Now he was in the fifth grade for the first, and probably not the last time. Jeff stared at him and then gave him a dollar and ran away. Bradley laughed to himself. And when he re returned to class after recess, he was surprised Mrs. Ebel didn't say anything to him. He figured Jeff had already told on him, and he'd have to give back the dollar. So Bradley sat at his desk in the back of the room. Last seat, last row. Jody... I must tell you that uh, Lewis Satcher must have spent some time in the classroom. He had to have had some experience in the classroom or some experience with, uh, you know, being around kids because he captured, the, you know, this kid uh, telling lies and making things up on the fly. When he comes up with these excuses, the kids in my class, they were really uh, enthralled by this. Well, he's an interesting character, uh, uh, Bradley. I was thinking a, a question that I often ask um, when we have a main character is, what is it uh, about this character that makes us want to spend time with it? And Bradley, at first, might seem like the, a kind of character we don't want to spend uh, time with, and yet we do at the same time. So I'm just, what is it about that, I, I guess, that, that, that the author does that makes a character like this who doesn't doesn't seems to go out of his way to push people away and yet as a reader we still we want to know more about him well i think in, in terms of the children they they've encountered kids like this who will uh, stretch the truth you know in an effort to be liked or be understood it's kind of hyperbolic but uh, i think that they're really just infatuated with 
with Bradley because, you know, they've they've always they've only probably felt that way from time to time. And uh, the next thing that happens is that when Bradley comes home from school, he goes into his room and uh, it becomes clear that he begins talking and relating to his collection of little animals where you know, he makes believe that they all respect him, accept him, and you know, accept him unconditionally. And uh, again, when the kids, you know, hear this next chapter where he finds solace and comfort in the company of his little friends who will never reject him, you know, they, they can relate to that too. Yeah, it's this interesting mix. He, he, in his room, he retreats into this fantasy world, you know, and he does sort of make up things. But at the same time, he's very aware of how people look at him and think about him. Um, I think he's very painfully aware of how people uh, regard him as a person. Yeah, kids can probably identify, maybe not exactly like this, but some aspects of life that can, can be harsh. And uh, that we all need someone who understands. We all need a, a true friend that we can relate to. Basically, in, in terms of the plot, his, his mother does go to uh, a parent conference. She uh, meets with a teacher. The teacher introduces her to a guidance counselor that wants to work with Bradley. And it's really Carla uh, who is kind of the turning point for Bradley because she's not like anybody else. Everybody else reacts to him rather than um, talks to him, So, which is kind of what he's expecting. And when she doesn't do the same thing that everybody else does, he's not quite sure what to do with himself at first. And then uh, slowly, just, I guess, kind of figures out maybe he needs to do something a little bit differently and he might get a different reaction out of people. So it's sort of how she responds to him rather than telling rather than telling him what to do, but how she reacts to him that makes all the difference. I, I'm kind of curious uh, you, since you've been you've been uh, um, reading this book to to uh, different kids throughout the years. What is their um, what has been your experience that their takeaway has been for kids who either might know someone like this or be someone like this, or maybe just their general takeaway of uh, after they hear Bradley's story? Acceptance. You know, everyone, everyone can um, find uh, unconditional acceptance in others. They know that everyone has inherently good qualities inside of them. Sometimes we just have to be patient and understanding and, and try to find them. And um, it's so funny. One of the things that he he didn't know about birthday parties is what what should I get her for a gift? And he cons he consults Carl on this at the very end. She says, "Just give him a a gift from the heart." And one beautiful moment at the birthday presents when the birthday party is when they're opening up the gifts, and everybody opens up the gifts, and all the kids are giving you know typical gifts. And Bradley's he opens it up, and it's a it's a replica of the human heart. <laughs> so he's interpreted it literally. He gave her a little replica of a human heart from the science store. So so funny and so uh, and so fitting. And um, at the very very end, you know, again he he was unable to um, meet with Carla, and didn't really see her before she left the school. 
But he did uh, send in the very final chapter, he sends her a letter to the school and it says, Dear Carla, hi, what color shirt are you wearing today? I'm sorry I yelled at you. Guess what? I got 100% on my arithmetic test. Can you believe it? And I didn't rip it up. I would have sent it to you, but I can't because it's hanging on the wall in Mrs. Ebel's class. Do you like teaching kindergarten? I bet you're a good teacher. Ask them to draw pictures for you. You should teach them how to do somersaults, too. Thanks for giving me back the book which you already gave me. I'm sending you a present, too. It's a gift from the heart, so you can't return it. Love, he crosses out love, yours truly crosses it out. And then he again writes, love Bradley. And below it says, P.S. Her name is Ronnie. And he folded the letter, put it in an envelope, wrote Carla's name on it, addressed to the Willow Bend School. And Bradley placed the little rabbit with a broken ear inside the envelope. He stared out the window for a moment and then looked down at the bulge in the envelope. He frowned, but it was an unusual frown. In fact, it might have even been a smile. So the kids are all just amazed at his most cherished little friend, one of the rabbit he gave to Carla, which is you know the greatest gift that he could give. And uh, Jody, I read this book out aloud uh, probably a dozen years in a row. And in my later years, I was departmentalized, so I had a couple of different classes a day. Whereas in my first ten or twelve years, it was um, self-contained, so I had the same group all day. So in twelve years, I read it. Know, a number of times, and you'd be surprised year after year after year when I read that final page in that last letter, the kids would applaud. They would all clap and applaud when we reached that final page. Oh, very nice, very nice. I was thinking, too, uh, for for what kids get out of this book, this might be a, a good book for some adults, especially adults who have somebody like Bradley in their lives to give them a, a different sort of perspective on that. Indeed. And also the encouragement to continue to try because, you know, for some kids who face, uh, you know, particularly kids on the margins of society, kids in lower socioeconomic uh, neighborhoods, so many times, uh, you know, they, they need a little bit of extra attention. They need a lot more understanding and you know, kids go through some difficult times. And, and uh, so it's certainly sh- is a, a book that is, uh, symbolizes a beacon of hope, a great deal of understanding and genuine acceptance of those that are different from us. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, well, uh, Robert, I have to uh, thank you so much uh, both for uh, coming and talk to me about your own book, Limerick Comics, and for talking to me about uh, There's a Boy in the Girl's Bathroom, which I said is one of those books that I'd heard about, but I never got a chance to read, so I'm glad I had a chance to finally read it uh, to get ready for this. Uh, So thank you for coming here to talk to me about it today. Well, thank you so much, uh, Jody. It's been a real pleasure talking to you and just uh, getting an opportunity to share this wonderful book with your uh, listeners. I know that so many of them are familiar with uh, Lewis Satcher's work with uh, the Wayside School and Holes. But uh, long before I was uh, acquainted with any of those, I had come in contact with this particular book, and I, I can't 
recommend it highly enough, particularly for teachers that want to try to, uh, you know, get kids excited about independent reading. And, you know, a lot of kids uh, have trouble getting through uh, chapter books and need a lot of uh, modeling and encouragement. You can find Robert's website at limerickcomics.com. Thank you for joining me on Dream Gardens. The theme music titled All Together is provided courtesy of Purple Planet Music. You can visit them at www.purpleplanet.com. Podcast cover art was created through Canva, which can be found at www.canva.com. You can find the Dream Gardens podcast website at jleemott.com and my author website at jodyleemott.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at dreamgardensjlm. The Dream Gardens podcast is available through iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what you hear, please comment, share, or subscribe. And until next time, keep dreaming, keep growing, and keep reading. Keep reading.